Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the co-director of charts at Billboard. And joining me, as always, is Billboard's deputy editor, digital, Katie Atkinson. Hi, Katie. Hey, Keith. How are you? Sounds like you have a little bit of a cold over there. I do. I, I, acqui- <laughs> I acquired a cold a few days I'm ago. I'm sorry. Uh, when I was in uh, London last week, and um, I'm still in the midst of it. The joys of traveling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I blame, I blame um, you know, the London tube and transportation system mm. is fabulous, mm. but also your... Up close quarters. Close quarters with lots of strangers. Indeed. And you're touching, you know, subway bars. And, mm-hmm. and usually I'm really good about, like, only holding things, like, with, like... You know, a an, glove, elbow an elbow or a glove, yeah. And I clearly, and I, and usually when I get off the subway, I will go and wash my hands <laughs> if I go to a restaurant before I eat. Yeah, S- somewhere in there I failed. Yes. <laughs> And now I'm paying the price. <laughs> um, well, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things about Keith having a cold. <laughs> um, and all things pop. All on- things cold and flu season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, it makes my voice kind of cool. <laughs> I'm also the Kool-Aid man <sighs> on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, <laughs> did I say pop? I meant pop. <laughs> it's your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition... You can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world O-pop. Today on the show, we'll be chatting about the Winter Olympics, <laughs> news about the Spice Girls Zig-zaga. maybe possibly getting back together, and Bruno Mars and Cardi B teaming up for some tour dates. Plus, we've got chart news about Justin Timberlake, BB Rexa, Florida Georgia Line, and the soundtracks to Black Panther and Fifty Shades Freed. Oh, hey, speaking of soundtracks. Oh, really? Today on the show, we've got an interview with Benj Posick and Justin Paul, the songwriting and composing duo behind the blockbuster Greatest Showman soundtrack. We talked with them about their latest Oscar nomination, some of their favorite soundtracks when they were growing up, what it's like to have their song being used in the Winter Olympics, and more, so stick around for that. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast... Why don't you just subscribe to us on iTunes so you won't miss an episode? And, you know, you can give us a rating or review while you're at it. And if you uh, want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcasts. So let's talk about three of the biggest headlines over on Billboard.com. First up, the Winter Olympics have officially kicked off with Friday's opening ceremony, which was full of music moments, including the U.S. Olympians coming out to size Gangnam style. Seems like... A little ridiculous. I was I, I, I watched a snippet of it on um, Twitter because as they were happening, it was like I think it might have been like five a.m. Eastern time. Yeah, and so it was. I watched the primetime version. Yeah, on NBC. And, and I'm not sure what time it was in London at the time. So it was like five hours. Mm. It was later. It was I don't know. I didn't see it. I saw it on Twitter though, and I was like, oh, this makes sense because a lot. I think all of the opening, uh, like all the teams entering seemed to be scored by k-pop songs yeah like i think there so was... korean music was the theme obviously yeah, we're in south korea um but i thought i just want to say this before you continue it i mm-hmm. thought it was um interesting as i was watching it um it was like you know uh, you hear sai singing and you see all the athletes marching and they're yay they're happy and you see all like the korean like you know uh like uh, assembled people on the ground like you know sort of dancing you know alongside of them and then right before they get to they were showing uh, vice president pence mm. and his, i guess his wife mm-hmm. um in the box mm-hmm. viewing you know as you tend to do viewing the olympians coming in and they were about to get to the part where he says, hey, sexy lady. And the camera quickly cut before they got to sexy lady. So you didn't have the words sexy lady focused on, you know, Mrs. Pence. Next to the woman he refers to as mother. Yes. 
Awkward. As you were saying, oh, though. Incredible. Um, speaking of K-pop artists, there was a group of Korean artists who came together to perform John Lennon's Imagine at the opening ceremony as well. But the big musical highlight of the Winter Olympics so far has definitely been the ice skaters. Because for the first time ever, they're able to dance to music with lyrics and words. So it's not just classical and instrumental songs like it's been forever. So some highlights from the first few days include uh, Ed Sheeran's Make It Rain. April Maservi's cover of U2's With or Without You. Dust in the Wind by Kansas. Sure. Uh, Christina Perry's Twilight Song, A Thousand Years. And the biggest hit of them all, Paul Anka's jazzy cover of Wonderwall by Oasis. Okay, now I'm wondering. um, I haven't actually seen any of the Olympics. Oh my god, you need specifically to see that last one. (laughs) Why, Why would you... Okay, I'm assuming that you're taking a... Paul Inca version because Oasis probably wouldn't sign off. Well, I don't know. I, I have no idea how the rights issues for these things it's, work. Because you're going to be on broadcast TV. You're going to be on broadcast TV. It's incredibly complicated to get Yeah, I'm sure rights. it's definitely complicated, which kind of is a bummer. I wonder like how far in advance they work all this out. Clearly, like, you too didn't sign off. That's why we have April Maservi's cover. cover of it. <laughs> um, so, but the... the <laughs> but Kansas is totally cool with dust in the wind. Yeah, they're like, whatever. Oh, I mean, who, honestly, you should all be cool with this. Like, this is going to give you such a bump. Yeah. I would think. Didn't um, didn't uh, Adam, is it Ripon? Rip, Adam Ripon, the ice skater, didn't he dan- Didn't he ice skate to like a Coldplay Cold Coldplay, yeah. yeah. It was uh, the Bird song. What's it called? Bur- something Birds. Aren't you a big Coldplay fan? Yeah, and I love that song too, but it's, it's called the Something Bird Birds. Song. It's like asking me about Madonna. I don't know, that thing where that she talks about being a virgin. Song. I don't know. <laughs> Like a uh, something. Mm. <laughs> it's been fun. It's definitely made it a little more fun, I have to say, um, to, you know, have the, the pop music is, is, element. Is ice skating over with yet, or is it still going? I think it's still going. Okay. I don't know how the Olympics work, to be honest. It's complicated. I'm, I'm usually better when it's more live-ish in America. Yeah. And also, I don't really watch a whole heck of a lot of, like, broadcast TV anymore. Yeah. Almost everything I watch is just on, like, YouTube and I more well, streaming. Well, so you can see highlights. That's what I'll have to be doing, I suppose. <laughs> uh, on to our next uh, topic. Uh, after sweeping the Grammys last month, Bruno Mars announced the dates and venues for the final leg of his 24K mag- the 24 Karat Magic Tour. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's like this me time- asking you how to say 444. Or 444. 444. Um, this time it's going to feature his finesse partner in crime, Cardi B. Uh, the 24 Karat Magic Tour originally ran from March 27 until the end of last year. 27? Did I just say that? 2017. Let's try that again. Uh, and then uh, this is the fourth and final North American leg of the tour, which has 23 dates. And it begins in Denver on September 7th and ends with a four-night stand at Staples Center in Los Angeles in October. The very best part is that the tour is sponsored by Cross Colors, that brand you thought might have went away in the 90s. I kind of did. But then uh, both Bruno and Cardi and their whole team were decked out in Cross Colors at the Grammys. So apparently they're back. Cross Colors is back. I, I wonder were they, if they were wearing Cross Colors in the video as well. Oh, I probably. It, cro- yeah. Cross Colors was a... For those that don't know, for, for the young people listening, mm. Cross Colors was a very popular brand uh, in the early 90s. Um, that a lot of hip-hop artists wore. Lots of primary colors. Lots of primary colors. It had sort of like, I would say maybe sort of an uh, sort of an African-inspired motif yes. to some degree. Uh, um, and also, I, the colors of the Jamaican flag are yes. very prominent. Yes, maybe I should have said Jamaican flag. Um, I, 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 I apologize. Um, I think it, I think there's Af- African elements as well, but the the ones it's, it's, that, that Bruno was wearing at the Grammys were all it's Jamaican. It's stuff that you would have seen salt and Pepper and Queen Latifah oh, yeah. rock in oh, in yeah. like the early 90s. Oh, yeah. Vibrant, beautiful. 
I'm here for it. Um, and I'm surprised they're still around. And they're I, back. For all we know, uh, there could be, you know, Keenan Ivory Wayans could, you know, open on, on the can tour. MC the show. Yeah. That would be incredible. Maybe, maybe he can J-Lo be- will be a fly girl out <gasps> there. Oh my god, oh my god, what, 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 what if, like, what if, like, they record, like, a video, like, interlude introduction with, like, J-Lo and Keenan Ivory oh, Wayans and, like, Damon Wayans? so fun. And, like, and they dress up in, like, you know, in Living Color inspired They should garb. have that set from the video, like, on stage, too, that In Living Color set. Like, oh, I loved it. It's so good. Yay. <sighs> yeah. All of this. I, uh, yeah. Do it yes. all. Um, I saved the biggest news for last. <laughs> We're going to talk about the potential Spice Girls tour. So TMZ reported last week <clears> that Spice Girls are going to go on tour in the U.S. and in the U.K. after Baby Spice posted an Instagram photo of the girls all together. Right. They got they all got together, just to preface They it, had a lunch. Like on February, like, 1st, I think? They had, yeah, they had a lunch. They had a hang. They posted about it on Instagram. It was the first time the five of them had actually been together in one room since 2012. Yes. So they, you know, they all talked to each other individually. It was the first time they got together and they all posted on Instagram. They yes. all posted photos. It's all about Spice Girls forever. And the fact that they were so public about it, it's like, what are they working what are they on? What are they planning? What are they doing on? <laughs> what are they, what what are are they, they do? doing I'm on? I'm blaming the cold for that. Uh, but um, Victoria Beckham, aka Posh Spice, uh, Kind of shot that down a little bit. She says, not so fast. In an interview with Vogue at New York Fashion Week, uh, Victoria said, I'm not going on tour. The girls aren't going on tour. So that really shoots it down. She's not leaving anything to... Yeah, she says tour, though. Oh, yeah. Because there's been some talk about like some maybe standalone shows. Maybe we're doing a residency. Yeah. That's not a yeah, tour. totally. Maybe we're doing a Broadway show. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll do like a one-night stand at the Forum. <laughs> Or maybe You're like right. she does one leave. night with the Spice Girls at the O2 Arena in yeah. London. Yeah, you know, Ooh, that'd be a good idea. Yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, as, and, as long and, as it comes to LA. Imagine too. those pricey tickets, <laughs> spicy. Uh, but Victoria did say it was so great to see the girls, and that the lunch was really, really, really lovely. <laughs> uh, doesn't sound like a tour is at all set in stone. Um, but as for the idea of a tour, she did say it's a positive thing. You know, there's so much bad stuff going on, she said, and the Spice Girls were about fun and celebrating individuality. I think there's so much that the brand can do, and it's such a positive message for young kids. What does that look like in the future? It's not me in a cat suit. Oh, well, <laughs> says you, Victoria. Um, uh, yeah, well. Um, so we did help. we see any, like, impact at all as far as, like, sales or streams go because of all this uh, Spice Girls fervor? Say, I mean, there there was gains in sales, uh, but not a whole heck of a lot because Spice Girls have a very limited catalog um, of really two albums with all five and then one with four. Sans Ginger. <laughs> yeah, true. And then, like, a Greatest Hits album. So there's not a whole heck of a lot of albums there. But the sales were up a little bit. More impressively, though, their streams were up. Um, the group's overall on-demand audio and video streams in the U.S. gained by 18% in the week ending February 8th, according to Nielsen Music. <clears throat> Sorry. Rising to 2.4 million streams. Um, they normally, like the week before, they had about 2 million streams. So not a huge gain, but a gain nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Plus, in monitored social metrics like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Wikipedia, and Tumblr... The girls gained by 201%, according to music analytics company Next Big Sound. And Next Big Sound is the company that provides us the data that we use to make our Social 50 chart, which mm. ranks the top 50 most social artists um, of the week. The Spice Girls didn't make it onto the Social 50 chart this week, but um, they were still up by over 200% 
in social metrics. I wonder, as we were saying before, how all the girls shared it on their various Instagrams. Yeah. If they had localized it all to their just specifically Spice Girls accounts, it might have been a different story. And also, there is no official Spice Girls uh, oh, Twitter oh, or well, Instagram. Ladies, yeah. If, if we're doing anything, you got to get on that. I, I don't think they've ever had one. That's crazy. Yeah, well, remember, they got back together. What was it, like, when was the reunion tour? Uh, was it around the London Olympics, wasn't it? Wasn't it close to that? Or no, oh, they no, performed it be- at... No, it was before that. I think it was, like, 2008. Oh, yeah, which is, like, right when Twitter started. Yeah, so, which I saw the tour mm. at the Staples Center. It was so much fun. Yeah. So, I mean, it was so, so fun. That's awesome. Um, Paula Abdul was, like, three rows in front of me. Oh, that's great. I mean, and and um, uh, David Beckham and uh, the kids... Were up in a box and people like people could see him and oh my god like on display well i mean it was one of those luxury boxes <laughs> yeah. and some it was like a, 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 like the news sort of started to spread through the arena yeah. that he was there and if you squinted your, and he came out and like waved <laughs> to people oh so <laughs> he received his fans yeah anyway anyway it was a hoop um well let's run the billboard chart numbers and do the chart chat here are three of the biggest headlines on the charts First up, Katie's favorite artist, Justin Timberlake, notches his fourth number one album on the Billboard 200 chart as Man of the Woods debuts atop the tally. The set earned 293 equivalent album units in the week ending February 8th, according to Nielsen Music. And of that sum, 242,000 were in traditional album sales. By the way, he didn't have a ticket bundle. Just, uh-huh. That's like just yeah. plain old normal album sales. Yeah. Unless yep. unless I'm gonna have to like eat my words and find out later that he did something like you know really wacky. But I think yeah. it's just sort of if we're looking at specific recent examples like Taylor getting over a million in November, she had a ticket bundle, didn't she? No, no. She, oh, what did she have? She, she had, had something. She had that Taylor ticks thing with Ticketmaster where you would register to get a place in line to buy to tickets. Be, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the more junk you bought. Um, from Taylor, the higher you would go oh, in line okay. to buy Including tickets. Including the album. So Justin, I don't think had that kind of shenanigans mm-hmm. going on, but he could have had he could have had something like you know uh, that I'm just not aware of, and I'm an idiot, and I manage the Billboard 200. I get emails from Justin's people. I didn't see any shenanigans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course you'd say that. <laughs> um, well, Timberlake actually scores the largest week for an album, both in terms of units and pure album sales. Since Taylor Swift's reputation oh. flew in at number one on the December 2nd, 2017 dated chart, with 1.24 million units and 1.22 million in album sales. Timberlake also claims the biggest week for an album by a man, you know, Man of the Woods, since Kendrick Lamar's Damn debuted at number one on the May 6th, 2017 list with 603,000 units and 353,000 albums uh, in traditional album sales. Notably, and I love talking about all things vinyl, notably, Man of the Woods sold 15,000 copies on vinyl LP, um, and that's the biggest selling week for a vinyl album since LCD Sound Systems' American Dream sold 16,000 in its first week back in September. Um, Why did Justin sell so many copies on vinyl? Well, probably because Target carried an exclusive orange-colored edition of Man of the Woods on vinyl, where all other retailers had the standard black version. So certainly that visible promotion at Target uh, in stores, on display, you know, huge you know, 12 by 12 Justin staring at you certainly helped out promotion. Overall, Timberlake has the second biggest sales week for a vinyl LP among solo male artists 
since Nielsen Music began tracking data in 1991. Only the debut frame of Jack White's Lazaretto was larger, 40,000 in 2014. Yeah. Um, That Jack White, he loves vinyl. Indeed. Among all soloists in the Nielsen era, only one other artist has sold as many vinyl LPs in a single week as Timberlake and White. Adele, hmm. who did it in five separate weeks with her 25 album in late 2015. Wow. So, yeah, go vinyl. Hmm. Next up, BB Rexa and Florida Georgia Lines, Meant to Be, jumps 11 to 9 on the Billboard Hot 100. The track is being duly promoted to pop and country radio as it lifts 16 to 14 on adult pop songs airplay, 17 to 13 on the pop songs airplay chart, and 22 to 20 on country airplay. Now, here's a fun fact. Meant concurrently tops the Hot Country Songs chart for an 11th week. Yes, BB Rexa, if you didn't know, has a number one on the Hot Country Songs chart. That 11th week at number one grants BB a record. It becomes the longest leading number one in the chart's history for a song by a lead female artist, passing the 10 week reign of Taylor Swift's fellow Whoa. country pop crossover hit, We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together back in 2012 and 2013. Now, Swift's hit retains the record for the most weeks at number one for a female unaccompanied by another act. Now, here's an important note about this chart feat. The Hot Country Songs chart began as an all-encompassing genre songs chart in 1958, and it was just a purely airplay chart, and it monitored only country airplay on country radio stations, like you know, I mean, when I say only country radio airplay, what I meant is monitor just country stations mm-hmm. um, all the way up until October of 2012. Then it became a hybrid chart, like our Hot 100 chart. And it now started to include sales and streams and airplay from all formats of radio. Um, and the chart, the Hot Country Songs chart now, ranks the most popular country songs based on all formats of radio. So BB is profiting on the Hot Country Songs chart from radio play that she's getting on a top 40 radio station like Kiss FM or Z100. Because the song is classified as as country. country. Right. Um, Katie got it. (laughs) And that was unprompted. (laughs) So um, it's it's hard to compare pre-2012 to post-2012. Right. But that as it is, we do. Because we simply changed the chart's methodology. So... Shania Twain, for instance, didn't like her pop radio airplay. But, didn't but count boy, in the late would she had she would have had huge hits right. had we had this chart, yeah, you yeah. know, the way it's formulated that way now. Um, those people who are fans of the old way of how we did the Hot Country Songs <laughs> chart, don't be sad um, because because the week that we changed the chart, um, the chart's methodology, we continued the old way, and now it's just called country airplay. Yeah, so. The Hot Country Songs chart that went up to 2012, that still can that still exists, that the way of formatting it still exists, it's now just called Country Airplay. Mm-hmm. And we report on the Country Airplay chart each week. That's a fascinating chart, too. It's too it, it's super fast moving. Um, and a lot of songs like just spend like a week or two at number one. They like to like share the wealth there. They do. Yeah. It, it does seem it does seem like country radio was just like, let's get something to number one, let's get it down. Yeah, yep, exactly. Everyone it's, gets a shot. Let's give Mary Morris <clears throat> this week and let's give Thomas Rhett the next week. It's honestly more shocking when you look at like uh, an artist's trajectory on the country airplay chart when they miss number one. Yeah. And you're like, well, how in the heck did Carrie Underwood peak at number two yeah. when every one of her other songs has hit number one? Like, what the heck happened that week? And 
I mean, I don't know, but it's just it's just so funny when you look at certain things. You're like, well, heck, why did they miss a top ten? Mm-hmm. Like, was, was were pro- programmers pissed off at them? That right? Week? Did they not show up to the to the promo to the showcase? Or? I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, um, and lastly, it's looking like the soundtrack to Black Panther should climb in at number one on the Billboard 200 Albums chart next week. As industry forecasters suggest, the multi-artist set, which features Kendrick Lamar, SZA, and many more, could bow with over 100,000 equivalent album units earned in the week ending February 15th. Another soundtrack, the 50 Shades Freed set, uh, should also make a high debut with maybe like you know more than 50,000 units. These are very general, preliminary numbers. super preliminary general estimates. By the time you hear this, these numbers could have mm-hmm. greatly changed. You might go out and buy a copy yeah, by now. You could help that number. If you, uh, who knows? Um, and of course, the former number one album, uh, The Greatest Showman soundtrack, will likely still maintain a high presence on the list, probably within the top five. Oh, funny you should mention the Greatest Showman soundtrack. It's like we set that up. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, because now it's time for our interview with Benj Posick and Justin Paul. Yeah! The songwriting and composing duo behind The Greatest Showman, La La Land, and Broadway's Dear Evan Hansen are up for the Best Original Song Academy Award for This Is Me from Showman after winning last year for writing the lyrics to City of Stars from La La Land. City of Stars. <laughs> We talked all about their latest Oscar nomination, The Greatest Showman's blockbuster soundtrack album, what it's like to have This Is Me used in NBC's Winter Olympics coverage, they said it's the closest they've ever gotten to sports, (laughs) and some of their favorite soundtracks when they were kids. Uh, A little hint, Benj's pick might involve the Quad City DJs. Really expected them both to go in a Broadway uh, direction when answering this question, and uh, Benj did not. So, uh, so here's our interview with Pasek and Paul. This is brave. This is bruised. This is who I'm meant to be. This is me. Hello to Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Thank you for having us. You pronounced my name correctly. Did I get it? Yes. I feel so loved. I might have some phonetics here just to help me out, make sure I get it. It's all right. Um, First of all, congratulations uh, on your Golden Globe win and now your Academy Award nomination for Best Original Song for This Is Me from The Greatest Showman. Um, obviously, you've been to this rodeo before with La La Land, but uh, what does it mean to, to do this all over again, to have this nomination this year? I think that, uh, you know, I, I I can't imagine that it will ever be not special. Mm. Um, and I think because each, each project is, you know, in, in, in one way or another, a labor of love and its own journey and its own crazy journey with different collaborators. And so I think each one feels really unique and special. You know, the fact that we got to work on La La Land uh, with... Damien and Justin and the incredible producers on that. And then this year, our collaborators, everyone from Michael Gracie, Hugh Jackman, and um, the whole team on The Greatest Showman, um, you know, it just feels really special to get to celebrate that a little bit because um, something like This Is Me from The Greatest Showman was uh, as much inspired by Michael Gracie and, and sort of the vision he had for that song as it was coming from anything that we were sort of thinking of. So it right. feels like a celebration of him and the spirit of the film as well. Yeah. 
Did you ever think you'd refer to one of your collaborators as Hugh Jackman? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. We're, we got BFAs. Well, see, I didn't, you notice I didn't say Hugh. I did say Hugh Jackman. There's, yeah. I, I don't know that I'll If you had just said Hugh. Hugh. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a like whole when, different thing. Or like when people try to act humble and they're like, oh, I went to school in um, Cambridge, Massachusetts. You're like, yeah. okay, okay, we okay, get you it. Just tell <laughs> us. We get it. <laughs> you guys went to school in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Well, exactly. No, so like we got BFAs in musical theater at, uh, at University of Michigan. So the fact, like when we were were recording for the first time uh, with Hugh Jackman <laughs> yeah. uh, to hear, you know, how uh, our songs would fit with his voice and all that. And he was, I think, kind of like auditioning us in that moment. We had this very, uh, mo- this crazy moment where like we would try to act professional in one room and be like, yes, Hugh, uh, you know, referring to him by that first <laughs> name. We're kind of like, are you supposed to just like talk to him, like give him notes and stuff? And they're like, yeah. I mean, Is he a mere mortal? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and Is he like, Wolverine? Yeah. yeah. Like, you, don't, you don't know. We, like shut the door and like he'd be in the booth where we were like, like oh my God, it's the boy from Oz. You know? Dying. That's awesome. Um, There's actually an incredible video online, speaking of Hugh, uh, of the workshop session to get the movie greenlit. And in the clip, um, Kiala Settle sings This Is Me for an audience for the first time and just blows everyone away. I mean, the facial expression on Hugh Jackman and you at the piano. And, like, you know, what was that moment like? It was an incredible, incredible moment to just witness the force and the power and the guts and the glory of someone like Kayla Settle. She is a Broadway actress who we have been fans of for a really, really long time. And when this movie came about, um, you know, we were auditioning to be the songwriters, and she was just in the kind of chorus. She was singing the alto line for Whatever, for yeah. many workshops. This sort of had to be forced into um, the, the spotlight uh, the in, uh, for Fox, and so. Whenever we do a workshop of it, it was just us calling. You know, Hugh Jackman would be a part of it, and but it was mostly just us calling on our Broadway friends to come in and fill in and play roles and sing in the chorus and all that kind of stuff. So Kayla was one of them, and we had written a new song for this character. And when we were when we were rehearsing in the day or two before it, she was very um, sort of shy about it, and I know she was felt intimidated and all, all kinds of stuff. And and Hugh really helped her out with that, but she was super shy. And so we said, Hey, can you like? love you okay like in the moment like this this is it like this is to get the movie greenlit like no don't mean to pressure you but like let's bring it come like, out behind that music yeah, stand you know we, yep. we were like you know, put the music stand down feel free to just like sing and engage with the audience little did we know that she would like put the music stand down walk out around it walk into the middle of the room with all these you know powerful executives that she had never interacted with in her life and just completely deliver the song and, and have such an emotional moment to the point that the president of the studio after after the workshop was like, "Hey, um, I don't know who you are at all, but you're definitely in this movie." That's yeah, incredible. You booked your first major yeah. motion picture was what happened literally after she sang that song in the room. So That's it was crazy. crazy, an incredible moment. And and then watching the the scene from the actual movie, it's like you can almost see how that workshop translated to yeah. that scene when she like steps out there yeah. and is so forceful about it. You know, it it really it you know, happened. <laughs> no, absolutely. And she was so inspiring to us. I mean, before yeah, that moment, the song was conceived to be a, a song for Tom Thumb. And we couldn't figure out how to write this. You know, we were sort of tasked with writing an, an anthemic uh, identity song. And we song, couldn't yeah. figure it out until we realized that we had Kayla Settle in our workshop. And we were like, well, someone who has that kind of amazing personal narrative and who can bring so much to that role. And she's such a, she's, she's such a, a fighter as a human being and to get to have her represent what those words say and get to sing so gloriously um, brought the song to life in an amazing, amazing way and changed, I think, the trajectory of the movie and the song and uh, we wouldn't be sitting with you talking had K. Alice <laughs> not been in that room For that sure. day. 
That's incredible. And, you know, the song's self-empowerment and really defiant message, um, you know, you talked about Keala kind of inspiring that, but, like, where did those words come from to, like, really come up with, like you said, anthemic, come up with this powerful anthem? I think for us it's a mix between being inspired by a moment in, in the film and being inspired by our collaborators like Michael and, and Keala. And also, I, I think, you know, we're both theater kids. I grew up, you know, I, I'm a gay man who grew up in the closet, you know, when I was a teenager. And you experience the world telling you that you're not lovable or you're unwanted or something about you is broken. And, and you feel like you have to fix yourself or hide yourself. And I think, you know, it's, it's amazing to work on a song that you think is your own private struggle and you realize that when you shine a little bit of light on it, there are a lot of other people sort of huddling in the dark there too. And that other people relate to that idea or relate to that message and can find a sort of communion in that, mm-hmm. in that message. Um, so it's been a really amazing uh, journey for us and, and I'll say for myself to, to write uh, something that someone like Keala or you know, the girl in Iowa or the group of Japanese girls doing their own dance routine on YouTube all kind of find and identify with this message of feeling like you're told you're not good enough and and declaring that you're going to love yourself, not in spite of, but because of your weird, awkward, unique, uh, you know, attributes. And and that's that's been an amazing thing to witness. That's incredible. And um, it's very appropriately being used also by NBC during the Olympics coverage. We're dying over that. We can't believe that's happening. It's incredible. Like the closest thing that will ever get to sports. So it's really special (laughs) for us. My my dad can be proud of me again. I did something with sports. Uh, But it's, um, you know, those moments that are always like paired with music, like it just makes it that much more like, you know, emotional and everything. It's really cool. There's some, I mean, I don't know what it, like, I, I like, and I don't think I don't really attribute it to our music. I feel like if you just put most any music, just cut to freaking Olympians, Olympians yeah. just like conquering, yeah, falling on like, the ice, and then and yeah, and then doing a triple <laughs> axel, you know? Yes, yeah. Yes. So, but it's obviously extra cool that 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 we get to be a part of that. And it, I mean, all of this, all the things that are happening with the song, we, it's just I think the biggest thrill for us is to watch that it's happening to Kale because she's a mm. voice that is a voice as good as any that's out there on pop radio in any genre of music on Broadway certainly and so it's a really cool story to look back at that video and that moment where she really did step up the first time and then going from that to people who are watching Olympics promos or hearing her voice that's just a neat story and it's really cool it's a testament that you don't have to be famous you have to have the raw talent and you have to have the ambition and you have to you know be willing to put yourself out there into the spotlight and that's exactly what she did mm-hmm. and in that moment that you can witness in, in the video online the head of the major of a major motion picture studio says you know what because you have that talent and because you have those that that gutsy uh, drive I'm, I'm gonna give you that opportunity to show yourself to the world because you're willing to be seen right that, that's it's amazing yeah. and sometimes when we talk to especially like younger actors and stuff like that people are always talking about like how can they fit into the mold or become part of whatever? And it's like the thing that we notice is like so many people stand out because they're the only one like them. And the cool thing is there is only one Kayla Settle. Like there's yeah. no one else like her. And so that's what has made her unique and and rise and rise and rise. Yeah, to steal a, a quote from uh, Ben Platt, who was in Evan Hansen, his Tony speech, he said, the things that make you strange are the things that make you powerful. And uh, I, I was so taken aback when he said that. And I think that that is really true for Keala as well, and for so many people, that that when you let your weird be seen, it, it really elevates you to a whole other level. 
And clearly it's being very well received. Um, the movie has made well over $125 million at the box office in U.S. and Canada. And the soundtrack spent two weeks at number one on our Billboard 200 albums chart. Um, what did you think about that, you know, reaction? Like, soundtracks sometimes end up, you know, on the charts, but, like, number one, two weeks. <laughs> no, it's, it was it's... fun. We get to pretend that we were, like, rock stars for a couple weeks. Like, we're like, yeah, we're in the music biz. No, yeah, we went to a we went to a Grammys party that Cardi B was at. Yeah. We're like, yeah. We're we, like, this is our crowd, right? We make money moves. Like, we were like, we're cool. It was pretty great. Um, yeah, that was a fun little you know fantasy to live in for a couple of weeks. It's like, yeah, we're we're number ones. Um, no, but uh, I think it's cool. Like we, uh, I think that the thing that it represents to us is there is an audience. And look, it's not for everyone. We know that, and and some people love it, and some people don't love it. But it, it, there's definitely is an audience out there for it. Um, and we were trying to create something that was entertaining and enjoyable and fun and joyous, and so especially hearing a lot about families, people coming back to the movie. And, and, and I mean, the most stories that are here are like families on road trips, back and forth to school, all that kind of people going to the gym, working out, all that stuff. That's the way the music's being used. Mm. That's really special to us. And it's maybe a different kind of thing that we've done before. And uh, it puts a smile across our faces. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we live in a, in a time when it's really, really easy to be cynical and it's really easy to say, and um, you know horrible things about a lot of horrible you know people that are in the world right now and a lot you know it's it's a, it's a challenging time and I think for this in particular uh, this was a movie and these were songs that were a celebration of hope and un- they're unironically joyful mm-hmm. and that's not a cool thing to do and we get that that's not cool um, and it like we weren't aiming to be cool in writing it and like we're still very much not cool today but, but we said like last but, week we sat with a class of first graders yeah and they all knew all the songs right and we got to play through five of their favorite songs sitting in a first grade class talking about music and songwriting and how you put a song together and then we played these songs and they knew them all and, and jumping up yeah. and down like that's we've never had something like that before. But, so it's but, really special. Yeah, and get and get having a message that's about optimism and hope and that like that the, the world is is like that you're going to be okay and that the world has the potential to be a better place than it is now. You know, the whole idea in go, in entering into this this uh, PT Barnum story was that you know, we would talk about how PT didn't see the world as it is, but he imagined a world of what, you know, what could be. And if that's the message, uh, it's decidedly uncool, but I'm, I'm really happy to be uncool and embrace kind of corny optimism at this moment <laughs> in my life because it's going to get me through the day. Did you have movie soundtracks or cast albums that you loved and that you would listen to on the way to school when you were growing up? For sure. So the, 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 the first Broadway show I ever saw was Cats. Mm. And that was my first Broadway show really? too, actually. Yeah, and yes, one, first one. You That's guys crazy. sat next to each other, right? <laughs> I was going to say you're now you're reunited. Here, but that show ran for a million. Yeah, well, I, mean, so I think it was like 1989. I mean, that's kind of probably when same I saw window. <laughs> so I had that experience, and one thing that I drew out of that was the amazing feeling that every Broadway show had people crawling in your laps. Yeah. So that was cool, and then I realized that wasn't the truth. Right. <laughs> the second thing was I became obsessed with, with the cast album, mm. and yeah, it, it's like looking back on. Like my childhood, I totally see how the same phenomenon happens, and it has happened with the Greatest Showman soundtrack. It's like as a kid, you become obsessed with that one thing. Yeah, I became obsessed with the Cat soundtrack. I was obsessed with the song Mr. Mistopheles. In my mind, I was Mr. Mistopheles. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that means exactly, <laughs> but that's what I, I don't know if Andrew Lloyd Webber knows I what don't that know means. If he knows that either. <laughs> um, but um, uh, but 
but yeah, be, I mean, and just wear it out and wear it out. And the parents like go from really loving it, where, like this our kids love this thing, to like really hating it. Yeah. And, and uh, but it's 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 cool to be one of many things that 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 a kid might become obsessed with. Yeah. How about you? Oh, I, as soon as you said that, I was thinking movie soundtrack. I remember being so obsessed with the space. Doctor Doolittle. No, I was oh, say, I, the I, Space I, Jam. I, well, Doctor Doolittle. Doctor Doolittle was amazing, but Space Jam was. Like, I believe I can fly. I believe oh, I can yeah, fly. I I went to that movie like five times, space and like, I would stand up at the top of it and sing the R. Kelly jam. And also, I love the uh, the song "For You I Will" that Monica oh, sang. That was yeah. written by Diane Warren, and so on this whole crazy, you know, crazy circuit thing. Yeah, We've yeah. gotten to meet her and oh, gotten to awesome. profess our love for, you know, the Space Jam soundtrack. I was really hoping you were going to say um, Dr. Doolittle. I became really upset. Was that with, with that. the Aaliyah song? That had the Aaliyah song yes. on it. It had a genuine song. That, the same mm. old... I don't know what it was, but it was like... There, there was like a, there was like enough tracks on there that made it like, wow, this is really like an all-star album. I know that the Space Jam... Uh, Movie still has its original website up, so I get, oh, you get to, you can relive like your nostalgia. Angel Fire it's website, some, Angel totally. Fire. That's exactly what it is. And yeah, you can Mozilla. Yeah, that was like the only moment. You know, you said like the Olympics and the Space Jam soundtrack. Though that's like my two sports, sports. moments in my life. Hashtag sports. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I can do it. Um, you mentioned Dear Evan Hansen. Um, congratulations again, because last month you guys won the uh, best cast album at the uh, Grammys. So Thank now you, you are Grammy winners as well. Um, you obviously won the Tony for it as well last year. Um, you know, you might know where this is leading. You've written music for television before, but any plans to get back to TV to lock up that EGOT, <laughs> which you are very close to? Well, that, that is, uh, I think it sounds like a really terrible goal. To, <laughs> I think only to like get the, the EGOT. It sounds like a guaranteed way to write something That's terrible. That's awful, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, for us, when we think about an Emmy, Justin has a... a what she's two and a half yeah my daughter will be her name is emmy so oh well you already have an emmy we're good to go we just get to hang out with a two and a half year old and we are uh we're locked and loaded yeah amazing okay i've kept you guys long enough thank you so much for coming in today and good luck at the oscars thank you so much thank you Thank you so much to Benj and Justin for stopping by during this award season madness. They are super fun. And next time we need to uh, have them come back in when Keith is here and co-host with us. This is hilarious. This is the third this is the third week in the row in the row where I have not been part of a guest interview, <laughs> which is not it. It was we not, may or may not continue it next week too. <laughs> we, we, it has not been planned this way. The 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 Pete Wentz interview just happened to happen when I was like like on a train or a plane coming back from the Grammys. Yeah. And so Katie capably did it. Yeah. And the following week I was in London. Yeah. So I, I and, talked to friendship and I, yeah, friendship and I couldn't, I, I it wasn't going to work if I was on a phone somehow. And, um, you know, the Pasek and Paul mm-hmm. fellows came into the office last mm-hmm. week, which was lovely. And I physically wasn't here. So, <laughs> Um, Katie will just be doing all... In case you missed my interviewing skills for the last three months, I'm just making up for lost time. If if you missed Katie uh, (laughs) doing interviews while she was on maturity leave, you are getting... You are getting a treat right now. But don't now. worry, Keith still co-hosts the show. <laughs> He's still here. I'm still allegedly on this show. Um, and now, it's time for the chart stat of the week. This week, in 2006, Barry Manilow scored his second number one album 
on the Billboard 200 chart, and his first since 1977, uh, with the greatest songs of the 50s. Uh, Now, the covers album debuted atop the list dated February 18, 2006, and was the first of a series of covers albums from The Entertainer. You know, covers albums by sort of heritage artists. Had a real resurgence. Boy, did they. Rod Stewart. Uh, Cindy Lauper mm-hmm. had a like an Etta James album. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but yeah, Rod Stewart and Barry Manilow were kind of like the the standard bearers. They also those. go to the same hairstylist. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> She'll be here all week, folks. Oh goodness. Um, well, anyway, uh, it, was, it was it was the first of a series of covers albums from the Entertainer, um, celebrating various decades and themes. Uh, Manilow was last on top of the list way back in 1977 with Barry Manilow Live. Uh, Manilow followed the 50s album with albums tributing the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, 80s was quite a bit less successful than the 50s and 60s, which, (laughs) I mean, it still made the top 20. Is that why he has not yet done the 90s? (laughs) Maybe he should start working his way backward again. I'm looking forward to Barry Manilow covering Little Uzi Vert. (laughs) Um... Um, so uh, he covered. He did albums for the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and a Greatest Love Songs of All Time set. Um, and all of those reached the top 20. Um, the 80s one reached the top 20. The other two, 60s and 70s, actually reached the top 10 as mm. well. Um, I just think it's because his core audience probably was a lot less familiar with the 80s songs. Yeah, yeah. And they really wanted that kind of nostalgia, yeah. probably, of the 50s. Which, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, whatever. Um, his most recent album actually was This Is My Town, Songs of New York, which hit number 12 just last year. Ooh, so now he's doing a city tour. Yeah, well, not quite. Songs um, of LA is coming next. Um, <laughs> so there you have it. Back in 2006, Barry Manilow got his second number one album and his most recent number one album on the Billboard 200 with the greatest songs of the 50s. Okay, so there we have it. We're at the end of our big shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, any parting words? Oh man, what a fun show! Yeah, it's good. It's uh, I, I'm not on any cold medicine or anything. I just seem a little bit more peppy than usual. I don't know why. <laughs> not all hopped up. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not hopped up on drugs. I swear. Uh, I swear. Have you? Uh, speaking of uh, Pasta and Paul, have you listened to the Dear Evan, Evan Hansen soundtrack at all? No, but I interviewed. Um, uh, ben Platt at yes, the Grammy Yes, he did. Awards. Oh my God, he did so well at the Grammys. I, I watched your interview too. Um, no, I have not. I haven't listened to. Yes, yeah, I'm time. not super familiar with that. I was wondering if there was a good song to go out on. Maybe something else. Um, maybe the Quad City DJs come on yes. ride the train. Um, specifically Space Jam. Oh, Space Jam by yes. Quad City DJs. So let's do Space Jam. All right, see you guys next time. Bye.